Today on the show, we have a couple listener requests. Layer Cake from 2004 and The Ledge from 2011. Check it out. Alright everyone, welcome to Brandon at Random Reviews. I am your host, Brandon Griffiths. Thank you for stopping by, I do appreciate it. Today, we have a couple of movies, and my goodness gracious, they could not be at farther ends of the spectrum. I, I... I was so shocked by how differently I felt about either of these movies, but uh, I'd like to talk about something I posted, you know, as I, as I've mentioned, I'm quite a ways ahead on recording. So I have all these episodes that are lined up to go and I'm, you know, it's like I'm recording stuff that's supposed to be released in like December right now. And it's actually like more like the beginning of September. And so I, I just have all of this extra Stuff, so I'm just trying to figure out how I want to proceed if I want to release these request ones sooner or what. But anyway, I recently released my episode on getting even with dad and serving Sarah, and I posed the question Is Ted Danson attractive? Is Matthew Perry attractive? And I determined that it would seem as though neither of them are overly attractive and that women are inherently less shallow than guys or at least they are less vocal about being shallow because honestly there are a lot of female celebrities I can think of that I would admit that I found attractive but if I said it in front of the wrong you know person like especially women that I know they would judge me super hardcore for it like really fucking bad and I mean like I, got, I can think of some examples, okay? Just women that I guarantee if I say they're attractive, girls will have a certain reaction to it that it's like one of, of shame. Like, I, I just can't believe you would actually think they're attractive. And so we start out with the queen, Taylor Swift, okay? Attractive, immensely talented, constantly putting out new material. You know, she hasn't like faded as she's gotten older. She's just stage shining bright nothing that I could see not to love about that and people don't seem to like her because she's like a serial dater as they can see you know it's like she dates a lot of guys and she breaks up with them and then she writes an album about them and different things like that I I don't really care about that I mean so what if she uses that to you know channel into music and and write good songs you know it's like I have no fucking problem with that and then you've got like Kim Kardashian who got famous because she has a big ass and a sex tape as you may have heard um and she but she's now like immensely wealthy and she she does really well for herself I find her attractive she's a good looking person I think that I think that that's a reasonable statement to say that she's a good looking person it's just people don't generally look at her like favorably as a as a person I don't think we've got Heidi Montag, who I'll admit, I can see why people wouldn't like finding out that somebody finds her attractive, but she was good looking before she got plastic surgery. She's good looking now to me. And I know that like, I usually have less of a, 
an offensive reaction to plastic surgery. Like, it doesn't bother me as much as it bothers some people. I don't really care. I mean, if you still look good, you still look good. I do wish fewer people would get plastic surgery because I don't think they look as bad as they think they do. And that's that's just that. I mean, that's all there is to it. But Heidi Montag, obviously, like, she was on that show The Hills and everybody just knows that she's she's not a great person. And the guy that she was with, I don't know if he still is with her, is like also a bad guy. So there's that. Kesha, who has a really trashy persona, definitely attractive, very good looking person. Nicki Minaj, also trashy, but super hot. I mean, the only thing I don't like about her is that it's been brought to light that she like, they they do a lot of like Photoshop type retouchings of her. And I think she'd still be good looking without those, but it's like, they feel the need to make people flawless. And it's like, I don't need that at all. Like even a little bit. Uh, Kristen Stewart is great looking girl. I think Twilight is what really dings her. She, you know, she was in those movies and they're not looked upon very favorably. So it's like, what, you know, what can you do? Amy Schumer, who is a comedian, who actually I don't think that women would necessarily be upset with me if I said she was attractive. I think they might be surprised. But she's she's got the allure of like the the thought of like maybe I'm a glutton for punishment, but I feel like if I if I dated her, she would like make fun of me a lot and it would be kind of hot. I don't know why, but it's like she could be funny about it and I don't know. It's just it is what it is. Okay, Paris Hilton, another one. She's very attractive, but she's kind of airheaded. She just, you know, she's got that rich girl syndrome. Lindsay Lohan, all the drugs, the plastic surgery. Miley Cyrus, the trashiness. Snooky, trashy. And these are all people that I still currently find attractive, not that I used to find attractive and don't anymore. It's, I, I still do, but I used to too, that kind of thing. Kelly Ripa apparently is not well liked by a lot of, a lot of people. I don't, I don't know anything about this, but apparently it's a thing. So, I mean, but Kelly Ripa, ever since she took over for Kathy Lee Gifford on, uh, you know, Regis and Kathy Lee, like she, I, I've loved her. I thought she's, she's gorgeous. I mean, honestly, can't get enough of her. Stacy Dash politics, probably an awful human being, very good looking. I'm sorry, she just is. Kendra Wilkinson, the whole Hugh Hefner thing, you know, she was one of the three girls that was dating Hugh Hefner, and I, I don't, she's alarmingly attractive. And then I will say, objectively, I don't think Iggy Azalea is attractive at all. I don't find her appealing. I don't like her music. I don't like much of anything about Iggy Azalea. It's it's just a me thing. So let's just get on to these movies. We've got Layer Cake, which was released on October 1st, 2004, directed by Matthew Vaughn, who also directed Stardust, which I still need to see, Kick-Ass, X-Men First Class, and the Kingsman movies. Writers were, um, well, novel and screenplay writer was J.J. Connolly, and so it's like he wrote the book that this movie was based on. And so I always put a lot of appreciation into that where it's like if if the guy who wrote the book is writing the movie, I rarely see that go over poorly, honestly. It's a really good thing to have that happen. Producers, uh, Adam Bowling, who is apparently, he's collaborated a lot with the director of this movie. Uh, he also did... Rocket Man, and which was the Elton John biopic. 
Then we have lead actor Daniel Craig. Okay, he plays the character Quad X, you know, four X's, and basically he's just, he doesn't have a name, and they just put that in as a placeholder, but he was in Lara Croft Tomb Raider, Road to Perdition, Munich, the James Bond movies, as James Bond, The Golden Compass, Defiance, which I kind of need to see, I'm not really sure I need to see it, but uh, How to Lose Friends and Alienate People, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Logan Lucky, and Knives Out, and there's actually a new Knives Out movie coming out, and I really love Knives Out, so I can't wait to see the new Knives Out movie. So then we have Sienna Miller, which... I'll kind of cover this a little bit later, but I'm a little shocked that she is so... On IMDb, she is second build in this movie, and I shit you not, maybe five minutes of screen time. Like, it, it is ridiculous how little we see of Sienna Miller, and... But I do have it noted here that she is hot, which is always important to note, and she plays the character Tammy. She was in the remake of Elfie with Jude Law, she was in Stardust, which I also need to see, by the way. I already mentioned that. She was in Foxcatcher, which was god-fucking-awful. I really hated that movie. And Black Mass, which was decent. It was not a bad movie. It was it was pretty solid, actually. Then we have Michael Gambon, who plays Eddie Temple. And he was in the Harry Potter movies as the second Dumbledore. And he was... He always annoyed me in the Harry Potter movies because... I felt like he was always angry and yelling, and that was like the opposite of what I read Dumbledore to be in the books, you know? And so it just, it wasn't a good a good w- interpretation of the part, I guess. He was in The Insider, he was in Gosford Park, The King's Speech, The Life Aquatic with Steve Sisu, and Little Women from 2017, okay? Pretty solid thus far. Tom Hardy, oh yeah, I love Tom Hardy. He played Clarky in this movie, and he was in Black Hawk Down, The Dark Knight Rises, Warrior, Sucker Punch, Rock and Rolla, Bronson, Inception, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, Lawless, Locke, Mad Max Fury Road, Legend, The Revenant, The Venom Movies, and Capone. Okay, fucking love Tom Hardy. God damn it. Do I fucking ever love him? Anyway, uh, Ben Wishaw is in this movie and he plays Sidney. And the only claim I have for him is he played Q in the new James Bond movies with Daniel Craig. So there's that connective tissue there. And then Burn, Burn, is it really Burn Gorman? Anyway, Burn Gorman plays the character of Gaza. And he was in The Dark Knight Rises with Tom Hardy. So, another connective tissue. Gotta love it. Okay, so, casting notes. So, apparently, this was the role that pushed Barbara Broccoli into wanting to cast Daniel Craig as James Bond. She thought she could see him doing well in the movie, or, you know, as James Bond in the movies. Little plot synopsis. In a less lighthearted Guy Ritchie-style story... An unnamed protagonist, who happens to be a successful cocaine dealer, is given two difficult tasks to complete by the man he works for. Alright, a little bit of notes. We got, you know, Daniel Craig talking about, you know, how the world has changed since, you know, since he's grown up and all this stuff and how things used to be and how things have changed and how now it's, 
you know, it's getting to where drugs are more common and things like that. And it, you know, it goes from like cops and robbers to LSD and the hippie age and different things like that. But anyway, so we're introduced to the care, you know, we slowly get introduced to these characters in this movie. And it's like we meet Clarky, who is Tom Hardy. And I didn't even recognize him at first because he was so young, but he was, he, he was barely in this movie like I'll, I'll say that right now he he only has a few key scenes and he doesn't really stand out that much in this movie at all but it's it's I'm still glad he got the role I'm glad that it was like a building block for his career and I would say basically Craig is is sharing his drug dealing rules and how you know you, the things you don't want to do kind of like the 10 crack commandments type thing you know it's like don't get high on your own supply don't get too close to the end user blah 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 so this is where i had to look it up on wikipedia because it's like i like to in my notes refer to the characters by their names as opposed to the actor who plays them unless they're unless the movie sucks so bad that they haven't really earned that from me um I guess I guess they just decided like they were they the author put a, a placeholder name of XXXX and he was just gonna go back and change the name later and then he decided not to change it back and he decided that the character didn't need a name to be you know to still make it a good story so Daniel Craig's character is just unnamed and you never hear him referred to by name and there's they go to this meeting with this uh you know, with basically Daniel Craig's boss. And it's pretty interesting. He he kind of sets him off on this task of like, basically he needs to get these pills and he needs to find this guy's daughter. And so, I mean, it's, it's pretty intense, you know, like what he has to do. And like Craig is basically like he wants to retire. He's like ready to be done. And it's like, he, he doesn't want this one last thing. He wants to just have it over with, but they won't let him have that. And so we get some of these really cool shots, you know, where you'll see one scene and they'll zoom into something on the table and then they'll pan over across the table while still zoomed in. And all of a sudden when they, they zoom back out, you are in another scene and it's really awesome. Like I, I really like the look of it. Um, so Jimmy is the big boss. He's the one that's tasking Daniel Craig with these, these items and he, you know, he wants he wants him to find the girl. He's saying that she's hooked on coke, all this stuff. And then we see the guy that I mentioned earlier that's in The Dark Knight Rises, uh, Bern Gorman. And they, they go, they're going to go buy some ecstasy from these lower level uh, dealers. But they say that they want too much. And so they... It kind of mucks up everything for them because they really need to buy them, but they, you know, they they don't want to overpay. And Craig runs into, you know, they're at a at a bar, and he runs into a guy named Sydney, who is um the the nephew of uh, one of, of of Jimmy, I think. And it's like, so he he's with this girl, and it's Sienna Miller. You know, she's uh. She's Tammy, and she is clearly into Daniel Craig, but she's dating the Sydney guy, and so she slips Daniel Craig her number, and, you know, basically, you don't really see much happen with that 
very quickly. So it's like, it just kind of trails off and you're like, what's going on here? And then, and, and the nephew guy is, is the guy from, that plays Q in the fucking, uh, James Bond movies, the new ones. And I thought that was pretty awesome that he's in this movie with Daniel Craig. And then these, uh, you know, the bad guys, I think they were the ones that were the dealers that wanted too much for the pills. They end up robbing these Serbians and it really sets off a lot of unpleasantness. And there's a pretty intense scene where Jimmy is pissed at Daniel Craig for telling them the pills were, you know, they were too much or whatever. He really wanted him to just fucking get it over with and buy him. And honestly, like I, I said it at this point, I was like, I can't tell if it's just the Cockney accents, but like this feels so much like a Guy Ritchie movie. It's not even cool. Like it, it is ridiculous how similar all of the elements of the story are to a Guy Ritchie. And that's the thing is it's like this guy came out with this book in like 2000. So it's like, he could have easily been influenced by Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch, I think. I can't remember when Snatch came out for sure, but I know Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels was out. And so there's a scene where this black guy that that is with Daniel Craig, he like beats the ever-loving shit out of this other guy. And it it was kind of like shit like this that I was I was very confused I was having trouble like figuring out okay why is this person relevant who are they like what are they doing you know what what do they want to do you know I mean I don't I don't really get it later on we get a scene with Daniel Craig he's finally called Tammy and they're at this hotel and she's going into the bathroom to get changed into her you know her lingerie or whatever and Daniel Craig answers the door and these two guys kidnap him and take him to the top of this building. And he's, you know, it's, this is where he meets Eddie Temple, who is Michael Gambon. And his daughter is Charlie, the girl that Daniel Craig is supposed to be finding at the behest of Jimmy. So Temple provides proof via recording that Jimmy blames Temple for losses on investments and intended to use Temple's daughter as a hostage for leverage until Eddie Temple recouped his losses. And so that's that's what, you know, Daniel Craig is just finding out. And so it's also revealed that Jimmy is an informant for Scotland Yard and he plans to double cross Daniel Craig and turn him in after the pills are sold in exchange for immunity regardless of regarding his own crimes. So Eddie wants uh Daniel Craig to sell him the pills instead instead of you know, sending, selling them to Jimmy, he would rather, you know, get the pills. And so there's, we're, we're getting a lot of sweet camera work, a lot of, a lot of cool shots, a lot of panning around rooms and seeing things in a different perspective. And I, I just love that kind of shit, guys. It's fucking great. So Craig goes, he's, he's going to assassinate Jimmy and, you know, he's, He's hesitant to do it once he's like finally on the spot having to do it. And then he just does it and runs away. And he doesn't like pick up the shell casing or anything. He doesn't do any of that stuff like he's supposed to. And then uh, Craig, you know, Daniel Craig finds out that 
Jimmy's accountant has vanished along with Craig's money. And Craig shows the guys the evidence of what Jimmy was planning. You know, the, the guys that Craig usually works with. He he shows them the proof that, you know, that this Jimmy guy was no good. And it's at this point that I asked myself, how in fuck's name was Sienna Miller second build on IMDb? Like, the, the cast list is in order of appearance on the, you know, on the end credits. But it's like, she is... She is second build in this fucking movie by IMDb. So anyway, Craig plans to kill this guy, Dragon, but it's D-R-A-G-A-N. And he's he's gonna he's gonna have him meet him by the park. It's a really cool scene. Like basically Craig wants to set it up to have a hitman take out this dragon guy. And it's like he just fucking the dragon guy is too good and he fucking figures it out and he shoots the hitman before the hitman can see him. And then when dragon finishes the hitman, he basically, you know, makes Craig know that he's definitely got him at gunpoint and he's going to, you know, he's going to make Craig get the pills for him. And it's like same, same way with Tom Hardy. You know, I keep seeing like bits and pieces of him in this movie, but he is barely fucking in it. Like he is, he is just a very, you know, like low level character. And I'm guessing that they retroactively changed the billing order of these actors based on their subsequent fame because they were not huge parts in this movie. And I, I, I would have loved to see Tom Hardy or Sienna Miller have a bigger part in this movie, but that's that's not what what they did. Um, we get we get this raid through, you know, like they're they're at this 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 building. They're you know they're um, they're chasing Daniel Craig and they barely get away. And I mean, it's a lot. There's a lot of great scenes like that where it's like it's very intense. It's very well orchestrated and exciting. It's like at the end of the movie, you know, it's like I I I'm gonna spoil it. So I mean, I've already given a lot away. So fucking deal with it. At the ending, you know, it's like Craig gets every, gets everybody everything that they wanted and they're going to sit down and discuss what's, you know, the next order of business and he's like Craig's like no, I'm fucking done. I'm I'm over this shit. I don't want to deal with this anymore and so he uh takes, you know, he takes off and he he's going to leave with Sienna Miller and it's at this point that um Craig gets assassinated on the steps of this fucking country club establishment. And it's like, the movie just fucking ends with Craig dying. And it's like, yeah, I like that. Because, I mean, they apparently they had another... Um, they had another ending lined up. And they, ha- they had shown it to... You know, they had shown what made the theatrical cut to audiences. And they liked it a lot better. Because it didn't have a happy ending like a lot of American films do. And so they they really preferred that. And so that's what they ended up going with. So highlights and praise for me in this film. Okay, pretty, pretty great ending. I'll be honest with you. I really liked the ending. The performances across the board were stellar. I really liked them. The cinematography was great. As I've mentioned, a lot of cool shots, a lot of a lot of awesome and you know experimental type stuff. And then the story was fairly intricate. Some of it might have gone over my head, which is it's difficult. I, I try and take notes. It's like if I don't take notes at all, I don't have anything to talk about because I can't remember enough of the movie after the fact. But it's like I really like I I really enjoyed it for its intricacy. And I can appreciate it even if I didn't pick up on every little nuance that they were going for. Um, 
and the characters were really well written, well designed. Um, criticism, the the only thing I'll say other than, you know, the movie being a little hard to keep up with at times is the music was way too fucking loud. I kept having to do the whole, you know, turn it up 20 notches for the dialogue and then turn it down 20 notches for the music scenes. And it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't need this. I don't need that in my life. Some trivia for you. Okay, so Guy Ritchie was originally supposed to direct, but dropped out due to prior commitments. And I think this could have been a very different movie because Guy Ritchie has a lot more humor baked into his movies. You know, he always has like some silly wise guys going on. And in this movie, you didn't get as much of that. You know, you had a couple of light comic relief moments and that was it. But it's like, I like it when something is full-on serious and, you know, it fucking gives a shit, you know? And so, the first draft of the screenplay was originally 408 pages, which is not surprising because the author wrote the screenplay and, you know, he's an author, he's a novelist, you know? So apparently the fuck word and its derivatives are used 210 times in this movie, which I always like to hear. So yeah, Sony wanted to have the happier ending to this movie, but because of the test screenings, they ended up going with the one that they ended up with, and I, I really like it. Runtime, 105 minutes. Budget, $6.5 million. Worldwide gross, $11.9 million. IMDb rating, 7.3. Rotten Tomato critic score, 80%. Rotten Tomato audience score, 84%. And personal rating of 4.5 out of 5 stars. Really like this one, guys. Thanks for the uh, recommendation, Chris. I, I really appreciate it. Um, you haven't you haven't let me down. So now we have The Ledge, which came out in July, July 8th of 2011. And is directed by one Matthew Chapman. And he has mostly writing credits on his resume. And he hasn't done a lot since this. Uh, he wrote, like, What's the Worst That Could Happen? And I think that's with Danny DeVito and Martin Lawrence, if you can believe it. And then Runaway Jury. And basically nothing else I've heard of, honestly. The score was composed by Nathan Barr. He did the Dukes of Hazard movie with Jessica Simpson. He did The Last Exorcism, The Boy Next Door, and The House with a Clock in Its Walls, which... All of those, except for The Last Exorcism, which I've already seen, none of those movies are movies I need to see ever in my lifetime. I'm all good on all of those. Actually, no, I have seen The Boy Next Door. God damn it, me and my fucking memory. Okay, so The Boy Next Door is the one with Jennifer Lopez, and basically The Boy Next Door is this young guy who gets way too into her and is a psychopath. Yeah, I... Not a great movie. Top build is Charlie Hunnam. I think that's how you pronounce his name, Hunnam. And he plays Gavin Nichols. He was in Sons of Anarchy, Undeclared, Cold Mountain, Green Street Hooligans, which I need to revisit. I haven't seen that movie in like fucking 15 to 20 years. Whatever, whatever it came out, I probably saw it like five years after it came out. Anyway, he was in Pacific Rim. Crimson Peak, The Lost City of Z, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, and Children of Men. He's not bad. He's not in a lot of stuff that I really enjoy, to be honest. But I do, you know, I do like him. I think he's, I think he's usually pretty solid. Then we have Patrick Wilson, who plays the character Joe. 
And he was in the Conjuring movies and Lakeview Terrace, Watchmen, The A-Team, Insidious, Prometheus, and Aquaman. And then Liv Tyler, who I have noted here is hot. Uh, She plays Shayna. She was in the Lord of the Rings movies, Empire Records, That Thing You Do, Armageddon, Jersey Girl, Rain Over Me, The Strangers, The Incredible Hulk, Super, and Ad Astra, which was a Brad Pitt movie. I kind of want to see it, but I kind of don't at the same time. Um, And then we have Terrence Howard, who plays Hollis Lucetti, and he was, of course, in Iron Man as Rhodey, and then they realized they were paying him like significantly more than they were paying Robert Downey Jr. And they cast Don Cheadle because they couldn't afford Terrence Howard anymore because he was at like the peak of his fame. And then we have, he was in Hustle and Flow, Mr. Holland's Opus, Dead Presidents, The Best Man, Crash, which I fucking hate Crash, by the way, Ray, Four Brothers, Get Rich or Die Tryin', and Prisoners, and I don't remember much of Prisoners, but I think I liked the movie. I just don't remember Terrence Howard being in that movie. Anyway, so plot synopsis, a man who is on a ledge is being talked down by a police negotiator, and he basically walks through all of the troubles in his life that led him to this point, and Terrence Howard also gets a little bit of backstory in this moment, too. Yeah, that's my plot synopsis, because I'm fucking a rambling lunatic right now. Anyway, early on, I liked, in the opening credits, the music was solid. It was, I didn't really know what this movie was at all, so, I mean, that's usually how I like it. But the music was solid, and Hollis, who is Terrence Howard's character, finds out that due to a birth defect, he is infertile, and he has been infertile his entire life. And basically, (laughs) Gavin is hanging out on the ledge, we see him at this point, and he's just hanging out there, and Hollis has to go and try and talk him down, because he's up way too high, And they can't put anything on the ground that will prevent his death if he jumps. So they basically just want to, you know, try and get him to to come quietly, you know. And Hollis is trying to talk him down. They're trying to find some common ground. They get to talking about Hollis's personal life and Hollis really doesn't want to get into it. They, They, all of a sudden, you just see what is assumed to be a flashback because Gavin's going to start telling his story and... Gavin is on a bus with Shayna, Liv Tyler's character, and they don't really appear to know each other. And then this, and then we're like in uh, Gavin's office, and this random hot girl just comes in, and she's like talking about how she has to write this report for school. And Gavin is talking to her about, and she she has to write about an inanimate object that she has an emotional attachment to and she fucking whips out this vibrator and it's just the super awkwardest fucking humor it's like it's it already like i hadn't even gotten like five minutes of this movie barely and it's already like yeah i don't feel like that fits in this movie like i don't think that that's that's the comic relief you need for this movie but it is what it is it it just comes off super weird so Shayna comes and meets Gavin, and apparently she wants a job, and she's going to be a maid. And so 
Gavin just shallowly hires her without really like checking into all of what she's doing and what she's done in her past and all this stuff. And and all of a sudden, it's like, I got this inkling and I don't remember what the moment was, but I was like, is this going to be a religious movie? Is that what this is? Because it's already got kind of like some undertones, you know, like... I'm like, I think it might be. I guess I'm to assume that Shayna is into Gavin because she keeps laughing at his terrible jokes throughout this movie. And that's how I'm supposed to be clued in. Even though they're like poorly delivered jokes and, you know, Charlie Hunnam is probably too nice looking to be like a guy that who had to develop a sense of humor. Um, I wouldn't... I, I was thinking about it because basically it's revealed that Gavin lives with a gay guy that he like took in because you know, his family or whatever banished him because he had HIV. And so it was basically like, yeah, that's all we can really do. You know, like we can, we, we have, we accept this guy into our home because his family is a bunch of pieces of shit. And so I I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, I guess I wouldn't have a problem living with a gay guy. I guess it would just you know, like anybody, it's like, what kind of person are they? You know what I mean? Are is this gay guy cool? Is he? You know, I I don't know. I mean, it's it it all depends. But it's like I I'm like I'm watching it and like they're all I can think is like if I had if I had a gay guy living with me, it would just be like one more reason for women to shoot me down if I tried to date them. They'd be like, oh, he must be gay. I mean, I already have these like this body language that's kind of like a little effeminate, but it's like, I I don't think it's that bad. And it starts to get religiouser when they, the Shayna and Joe, her husband, who is played by Patrick Wilson, invite uh, Gavin and his roommate, his gay roommate over and just, they want him to have dinner together. So they, they all of a sudden start to, you know, over dinner, they decide they're going to like, join hands for prayer and Patrick Wilson's character Joe is gonna pray the gay away if he can and it's kind of uh ridiculous it's like a little you know it's insulting but I I'm sure it's happened you know I'm sure it does happen with a lot of a lot of people that you know like they find out somebody's gay and they're like oh they need to be saved they're not they're not really gay they just need to find God you know it's like no they're they're gay I'm sorry that's I'm sorry you don't want to accept that into your life, but you should, because that's that's the way it is. Um, It feels like, this movie feels like an after-school special. Like, just the dialogue, the writing is pretty mediocre, and then the the line deliveries are flat. Like, they just, they, they have that lack of correct emphasis on certain syllables and stuff, I guess, that it just doesn't go over well. You know, we see Shayna as a maid at the hotel and her and Charlie talk and, or not her, her and Charlie, her and Gavin, Charlie Hunnam's character, they talk and she apologizes for her husband. And he's like, well, you know, it's no need to apologize. You know, you didn't do anything. So it's like, there's just more church talk. And it's like, it doesn't make me uncomfortable to talk about church talk. It's just, I don't enjoy it, you know, and I don't want to hear about it because it's not my personal journey, you know? So it's like, it is what it is. There's this intense moment with, you know, because we keep kind of coming back and forth between what's been happening in Gavin's life to the present where he's talking to Terrence Howard Hollis on the ledge and 
you know, we get a really intense moment because it turns out that Hollis actually has kids and because he's sterile, he knows that they're not his because he's been sterile his whole life. And he finds out that his wife, like, fucked his brother to be able to have the kids look as much like him as possible. And it's, like, pretty fucked up. Like, I, I'd be, I don't know if I could get over that if I had that happen to me. Because it's like, if you want to do that, you there are channels by which you could do that and it would come off better. It's, you know, it's like if she said, hey... You know, it's like, I really want to have a child with you, or I want to raise a child with you, or children with you. You know, would you be interested in, like, you know, doing the in in vitro, or, you know, something like that? How would you feel about all of that? It's, you know, the, the way it all blows over is it's just like, I mean, Terrence Howard is notably, you know, very upset. And, you know, he's he's trying to come to grips with it. And there's, there's this moment where, because, like, Joe and... Gavin keep having these these interactions where it's like they're arguing religion with each other and Gavin delivers this line of are you willing to admit that God might not exist and Joe is like no and it it just feels like oh it feels unnatural it's just it's terrible and so we get all of these other um these other interactions, and obviously, like, it's, the movie is hinting that, like, okay, Gavin and, and Shayna are gonna end up together, you know, they're at least going to have a fling, and so, they keep having interactions with each other, and Gavin makes a pass openly with Shayna on the bus, and he's trying to drive her away from Joe, like, he just, he knows that Joe is a bad guy, right? And later on, Gavin apologizes for making the pass, and Shayna forgives him, and then, I would say that basically in this movie, Gavin's entire fucking personality is being atheist, which it, I get it. I've, you know, I, I would say I haven't been there, but I've, I've been there before. I've like made it such a big part of my life that I was, I, you know, I didn't believe in God and it's like, it, it, there's more to life than not believing in God. You know what I mean? It's tough, but you, if you just, if you basically don't think about it, it doesn't really affect anything. It's not really like a big deal. But yeah, it's like Gavin's entire personality is being atheist and Joe's entire personality is being a theist. And I was really afraid that they were going to turn Gavin into a fucking believer at this point. You know, it was just like, it didn't make any sense to me that he would, but at the same time, that certainly didn't seem like off the table as far as what this movie would do. Uh, It's just like the whole movie is like, airing out religious arguments and stuff and it's just it falls so flat for me from both ends you know what i mean it's like they don't they don't paint joe up to be a monster really initially and then they do you know what i mean and then <laughs> I, I had one moment where i realized that like there's a scene where like Liv tyler is is saying something and i was like you left that take in the fucking movie like, everybody but the director at that point must have been like, Liv, could we run that line one more time? You were flat as an ironing board. And everything is trying to be a profound breakthrough in beliefs, and it, it, none of it works for me. It doesn't, it doesn't, like, it doesn't come off well. And the pace is slow as shit. It's just, like, it's dragging on, explaining this story of how, you know, Gavin ended up where he is and all this stuff. And I, I guess, like... I would say the movie is well cast. Like, if these actors were on their A game, I think that this would have been a, 
uh, a better movie. I don't know if I would go so far as to say like a good movie, but all of a sudden we get Gavin and Shayna making out and, you know, she's like just feeling driven into his arms, you know, and Joe is so controlling and, you know, he's, he's just, he's not the man that she wants and all this stuff. So I'm, I was willing to bet at this point, cause like they keep saying that Shayna is going to school and like, you might say you're going to school, but like, if you, if you, if you've got like, if you got a class that day, you say you're going to class. You know what I mean? It's like, it doesn't work to say, I'm, I've got to go to school. You know, I've, I'm going to school. It's like, you, you say that when you're in like, in grade school, you know, you don't say that when you're, you're out of that age range. You, you say you're going to class. Anyway, uh, I just, I had to make that note. I'm willing to bet that a lot of Terrence Howard's scenes in this movie were cut out. Like, I, I want to say they needed to build up his character more and show the kind of life he led before. You know, like, maybe it's like you kept getting the the Gavin flashbacks of, like, what happened in his life. We needed one where Terrence Howard kind of opened up a little bit finally towards the end where he had built up some trust with Gavin and you know then it's like they we could have seen Hollis's real life you know Terrence Howard's real you know situation and how things had been and you you could have seen how much he loved his wife and kids before today all that shit um and my guess is you're supposed to see the some the similarities in the backstories between behind like Gavin and Hollis you know you've got this infidelity going on You've got, you know, uh, all these, all these different things. And it's like Hollis is going to personify his wife cheating with, you know, Gavin. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's clunky. It's fucking clunky. So finally, Shayna and Gavin have sex and the age gap is only three years. I would have, for some reason, thought Liv Tyler was a little older than that, but not like, I would have thought she was... She was like older than him by more, but she's only three years older than him. And it's like he was born in 1980 and she was born in 1977 or something. It's at this point we get Liv Tyler boobs, which cannot redeem this movie, but it's, you know, it's worth a shot. And Joe finds out that Shayna is cheating. He knows it. You know, it's like he's, he's almost positive that, you know, he's seen them together. He's seen her coming and going too many times to not realize it. And the story, it's like the the way they like the way they progress the story at one point is it's like you you're back to Gavin and Hollis talking on the ledge and and Hollis says, "So what happened next?" And then that's that's the storytelling style. Like that's it's not like even so like so what happened today, you know, what what what's different today? And it's like Joe and Joe is, you know, stalking Shayna and Gavin. And it's like he he sees them go into Gavin's apartment and he goes and listens at the door. And he he's like, I was afraid he was going to walk on, walk in on them doing sex on each other. You know, like people say, apparently not. Joe elected to silently and emotionally break down outside the door and not interrupt, but just, he just wanted to take it as, you know, confirmation of their infidelity. We learned that Gavin had a daughter, and she was very young, and and he was driving, and they were in an accident, and he blames himself, and all this stuff, and he makes 
a sarcastic remark about how she's probably up in heaven while all the other baby angels. And he's like, sorry, I'm such an asshole. And I'm like, yeah, you sound like a fucking douchebag. Like you're, you're giving, you're giving non-religious people a bad name by, by talking like that. Anyway, um, cause it, cause it sounds more like you don't take your daughter's death seriously. You know what I mean? So Shayna never makes it to school. Joe never made it to work. This is what we're finding out when, you know, we're back to Gavin and Hollis on the rooftop. And um, they they know all of a sudden that Gavin is being held at gun, or, you know, like basically not held at gunpoint, but like he's, he's basically been told by Joe that if he, you know, he needs to go to the top of this building and jump off at 12 o'clock or he's going to shoot Shayna. And so they're in the other building across the way watching as this is all unfolding. But like you keep seeing Joe and Joe and Shayna, you know, like they're on the outs with each other, you know, like they, it's clear that, you know, Joe knows what's going on and Shayna and Gavin are getting together all the time. Joe overhears them talking about, you know, how basically she's planning to just leave Joe, you know, Shayna and Gavin are going to be together. And so he's kind of like, you know, feeling like he's got to do something. I I was a lot more into the random hottie with the sex toy in the beginning of this fucking movie than I was into Liv Tyler. Because it was just like, Liv Tyler, it, it, she's just like flat as a board on the fucking, not, not that way, not the... Not the chest way. The I'm talking like everything that she's she's doing acting wise is flat in this fucking movie. And there's a scene where Joe and Gavin are talking religion. Like Joe has a gun and he's basically like in a standoff with Gavin and they're arguing religion and Gavin's not backing down even in this situation, which I guess is good for him. Joe's telling about who he was before he found God or whatever. And it's like, he just, he used to have this drug, druggy life. You know, he used to go to strip clubs and he used to do this and that. And, uh, he'd gamble and all sorts of stuff. And then we find out that Joe threatening to kill Shayna has put Gavin up to going up on the ledge. Okay. And Terrence Howard is still fucking killing it in this movie. He's getting like real emotional and shit. It's fucking great. I was deeply concerned that actually I wasn't concerned, but I I had a feeling that there was a chance that both Shayna and Gavin were going to die. Like Gavin was going to jump and Shayna was going to have already been shot before they could get to her. And it's like, it didn't, it didn't end up happening that way, but they, you know, so the cops caught Joe, but Gavin already jumped. So Gavin's dead. And then, you know, they go save, they save Shayna. And I, at this point I was damning myself for just finishing movies when I start them. Cause I honestly wanted to shut this fucking thing off. Like I was, I was so fucking over this movie. I, I didn't enjoy it. For some reason they made it so Shayna you know, after she talks to Hollis, she, she goes by, um, she goes by Joe's cell and they just kind of exchange glances with each other. But I'm like, you mean to tell me that that's the setup that you have the person who is literally almost just murdered by this person. You have them going an unguarded way to, you know, walk by the person who just almost murdered them. That's what you're telling me. Hollis goes back to be with his wife and kids. He, he, 
decides he's going to forgive her and you know he thinks of all the love he has for them and all this stuff and how how he wouldn't trade any of it they dedicate this movie to a couple of people at the end that i'm sure have passed away and i just have to say if i die unexpectedly or something if if you dedicate a movie to me never make it a movie like this please please don't do it i mean dedicate any kind of movie, like just movies that are in my vein, but for the love of God, I will come back and fucking haunt the shit out of you if you dedicate a movie to me and it sucks this bad. My praise for this movie is Terrence Howard. I think he's he's at a much higher echelon than these other actors, at least that's what I'm seeing in this movie. My criticisms, the overly religious and anti-religious narratives are fucking terrible like all these fucking overtones i don't like it the flat acting fucking terrible and we needed more of terrence howard's life as i mentioned we needed to see how things were with him and his wife because we're just kind of getting this superficial version of what his life was and we are just hearing him talk about it and it's like we need to see interactions with his kids and interactions with his wife and you know basically just how much they they really love each other the only imdb nugget i have is and this is more just dumb but it is shana asks if gavin was a teacher and gavin replies yes charlie hunnam played a pe teacher in green street hooligans from 2005 so yeah fucking terrible honestly like it doesn't it doesn't have i doubt that they were making it in reference to that charlie hunnam movie i'm sorry i don't think that that's what was going on i really don't okay so we got a runtime of 101 minutes for this movie the budget was 7.3 million worldwide gross 1.2 million imdb rating 6.5 which seems a tad high for me rotten tomato critic score 14 percent. there it is rotten tomato audience score 48 percent. yeah i guess personal rating two out of five stars carried solely by the weight of terrence howard's performance i thank you for your time and i wish you all the best i am hopefully gonna keep churning out these fucking podcast episodes if uh you know if i can keep thinking of movies to cover i'll do it i might i might change how many i do i might you know go to a a smaller number you know just like one at a time maybe but it is what it is so thank you for listening i appreciate it have a good day Brandon at Random Reviews is performed, written, directed, produced, and edited by Brandon Griffiths. Theme music is performed by Augusto Diniz from Fiverr.